it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too it's a thing and now the truth is out there i can tell you about my favorite place to have fun chumba casino they have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week you can play for free anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus it's time for today's lucky land horoscope with victoria cash Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Oh, yes. Professor, this is Gary Sisti from the Lightning Round Podcast. We've got a new sponsor. Oh, I see. Good news, everyone. That's right. This is Gary Sisti from Lightning Round Podcast, and we have a brand new sponsor, Pro Football Focus. But first, Professor... What is this thing? Have you seen my new 301-inch TV? Hypnotoad is brought to you by the Magnaphalix 302-inch TV. It's bigger. Oh, hell. Forget the TV. Roll that ad. Prepare to win this season with PFF Fantasy. Pro Football Focus uses our exclusive data on every play of every game to bring you the best fantasy stats and projections. Join PFF Edge for full access to our expert rankings, draft tools, matchup charts, and of course, our award-winning content. Are you a high-stakes player? Join PFF Elite, which includes our premium stats database, Greenline game picks, and DFS optimizer powered by our fantasy projection. Join PFF Fantasy and prepare to win. Sign up now at ProFootballFocus.com. Here comes the lightning bolt. Charger fans are witnesses to history. This is the Lightning Round Podcast with your hosts, Garrett Sisti and Jamie Hoyle. Go Chargers, go. This is the Lightning Round Podcast, your number one source for Chargers pointless preseason <laughs> football coverage for Jamie Hoyle. At Lightning underscore round. I am Gary Sisti at Gary Sisti here to cover game two of the preseason against the Seahawks. We'll talk about it in a sec, but let's give it up for our donor this week. 
Yeah, so we always kick off the show with a big thank you to everybody who supports the show. This week, we got a donation from Donald Lewis. Uh, so thank you very much, Donald, for your support. And like we always say, we appreciate everybody, no matter how you choose to support the show, whether it's listening, interacting with us on social media, listening to the app and inter- interacting with us through the app when it's working, which hopefully will be back up and working soon. Yep. Or you know, rating us on iTunes or however you may go about doing it. We appreciate all of you. So thank you all for the continued support. And that's actually a nice segue into the news about our latest sponsor, which we announced on Twitter, but maybe we can speak about it here for those who didn't see it on Twitter. So Garrett, you want to take that? So if you're listening now, you probably already caught it, but uh, we are now sponsored by Pro Football Focus. So thanks for them. We really appreciate the support, and thank you guys for also helping this happen because it is all because of you and your listenership. So thank you to you guys for listening, and thank you to Pro Football Focus for sponsoring us, and you'll be hearing them for the next couple weeks. Absolutely. Thank you to Pro Football Focus for agreeing to work with us and giving us the opportunity to spread the word about the work that you guys are doing uh, from a statistical analysis standpoint. So thank you very much, and like I said before, Thank you to everybody for who's supporting us and for listening to us because without you guys, this opportunity would not be available to us. Yeah. So uh, let's go ahead and get into it. And last week we kind of mixed it up a little bit and we started going by position group and we broke down the game that way against the Cardinals today. We're going to mix it up again, and which is kind of not only for us, but it's also for you too so we can kind of get something new brewing. So today what we're going to do is we're going to each give our takeaways from the game. We're going to do three each. We'll talk about offense, defense, and, of course, special teams. I know that's what you're waiting for. So, yeah, we'll talk (laughs) about special teams too. So we'll give our big three takeaways from the 24-14 preseason win over the Seahawks. So let's go ahead and jump into it, and let's start with offense. Jamie, what's your first takeaway? So I don't know how you can watch that game and the first takeaway not be Detrez Newsom the undrafted rookie free agent running back. So to me, he's the the biggest takeaway really out of the preseason so far is the work that he's done in the competition for the third string running back spot because, you know, coming in, we we said it on the show. We thought the, the top three running back spots were basically written in in pencil, if not in ink, with uh, Gordon Eckler and Justin Jackson being the three running backs that were going to come out of camp. And Newsom... I mean, he's made the most of every opportunity he's had. Um, last night, they shut down Austin Eckler, Russell Hansbro, and Justin Jackson and gave basically all but, what, three or four carries to Newsom. And he had he wound up with 19 carries for, I believe, 78 yards, had three more catches for 22 yards, looked uh, elusive, explosive, ran with power, finished his runs. Uh, got really a full workload, which is something you don't see in the preseason, and he was still running hard late into the game. Uh, the one thing we really didn't get to see was was work with him on special teams, and that was really out of necessity, uh, according to Anthony Lynn, because really they couldn't afford to risk him on special teams with the other running backs being shut down. So hopefully that's something we get to see in the next two weeks of preseason. But Newsom to me, is a guy who seems like he's really forcing the coaches to make a decision they maybe didn't think they'd have to make. And if he shows that he can return kicks or, even better, cover kicks, uh, I think he's going to make their decision for them because he's playing fantastic and he looks like he would be a great complement to uh, Melvin Gordon and Austin Eckler in that third running back spot as somebody who can catch the ball out of the backfield, somebody who can break a long run. Uh, he just he just looks great. And I, to me, that's the biggest story to come out of 
uh, Saturday's game. That's obviously one of the three. That's one of the biggest storylines for sure. And it says a lot about Justin Jackson because now he's got a very steep hill to climb with that performance from Newsom. I mean, even before, when you're going into camp, Justin Jackson was more fighting for the RB4 than he was for the RB3. Russell Hansborough had that job in camp and hasn't let that go. It's been Newsom and Jackson splitting those fourth running back carries. They've been carrying that load. But Justin Jackson hasn't got healthy. And through two games, Newsom has been made the most of his opportunities. And, I mean, he had a touchdown last week. You talked about 78 yards, 22 through the air. But he could have very well jumped Russell Hansborough, too, not just Justin Jackson. He has now supplanted himself as a third running back on the roster. And you can make a case, and probably a very strong one, that Justin Jackson is fifth on that depth chart right now. I would tend to agree. I think he's got... He has to leapfrog Hansbro and Newsom at this point just because he hasn't been on the field, um, hasn't practiced much so far in camp, and hasn't played in a game yet. So he has the steepest hill to climb where it looked a couple weeks ago like he was the guy who was going to basically walk in and take that job. Uh, now he's fighting for a practice squad spot with either Newsom or Hansbro, depending on how the third running back spot pans out. So he, he looks like he's got a pretty steep uphill, uphill climb ahead of him. Getting 78 on the ground is good, but when they were down seven, it was third and three with two minutes left, where Newsom took that third down carry for 31 yards, basically sealed the game, set up the field goal. He helped the Chargers win that game because they get stopped there. They got to punt it, and the Seahawks have a chance to win it, if not tie it. So a big carry there from Newsom late. Uh, He was very good, and it is going to be tough for Justin Jackson to crack this roster now with how Hansborough and now Newsom has been playing. I would totally agree. I'll go ahead and take the next one, and I think the next big headline, and I, I'll, I'll come up with another one now that you, you took the Newsom one, but I think you can go ahead and put the nail in the coffin for Cardell Jones. I think the Cardell Jones experiment is over. Last week, Cardell got the chance to work with the starters, and Lynn said, hey, I haven't been able to see Cardell with any real NFL talent. He's been with the second, third team. I want to put him in with starters, see how he does. Wasn't very good. In game two, Geno got his reps as the second quarterback behind Rivers. He was ahead of Cardell again. For two games in a row, it's been Geno over Cardell. And Cardell has that theoretical upside because he's young, but through two games... And he's got the big arm. He's obviously got the big arm. He's proven that he is not a project worth investing in. You know, when they made the trade, it was fine. You know, it made sense. He had familiarity with Lynn. He's got that big arm. And he never really had a shot to prove himself in the NFL. The Bills never gave him that chance. But... This is his second season. His accuracy hasn't improved. He's taken a step back from last year. There's no real progression. He's gone backwards, and he should have the leg up on Geno Smith. He's already had a year in the system. Cardell should be the front runner right now, but he isn't. Geno Smith has run away with it, and Cardell Jones isn't worth a roster spot at this point. And should be Phillip Rivers and Geno Smith as the only quarterbacks on the 53. No way they should carry three quarterbacks at this point. Yeah, to be honest with you, um, we said it before the preseason started. In my opinion, if Cardell can't beat out Geno, which clearly he's not going to, he's not worth even carrying on the practice squad because a Geno, a Cardell Jones who can't beat out Geno Smith, he's not going to be a starter in this league. I don't care how big his arm is. I don't care how, you know, how big the frame is or how much quote unquote potential he has. If he can't beat out Geno, he's not worth carrying even on the practice squad at this point. So, if he's being evaluated objectively. He should be fighting for a practice squad spot slash a roster spot with Nick Shimnick at this point, who 
and Shimanek didn't even get in the game yes, last night. So um, I think I was going to list this as a as a as a storyline, but to me, I don't think it's that much of a story because I thought Gino would beat him out after looking looking at the contract they gave Gino and thinking about the experience. And this is a team that thinks it's a playoff team. To me, I, I coming into camp, I thought Gino was going to take this job. And I haven't seen anything to change my mind. So I don't really think this is a story. I just think it, more than anything, it puts the story to bed. But I agree with your take. Gino's been much better. He is the backup quarterback. I think that is evident through two games of the preseason. And, I mean, really, it didn't even seem like the coaches were interested in seeing Gino throw the ball that much last night. Um, he, They were running the ball on first and second down, putting him in third and long situations, and basically giving him no shot to succeed. So I, it seemed to me like they had kind of checked out on him, and that experiment is over. Okay, well, give me another one. So I think the next one, uh, from a, on a positive side anyway, um, is the play of the young wide receivers and how the the wide receiver depth chart is stepping up not only in the offense but on special teams and could potentially be threatening Travis Benjamin's roster spot. You know, when you look at the, how these guys are playing, you've got Artavis Scott who is making plays on third down. He's flashed as a kick returner. He's making short and intermediate catches. You've got Jeremy Davis, who nearly blocked three punts last night, had a, a tackle on, on a punt coverage team that was called back due to an off, um, a penalty on the Seahawks. He had the big splash touchdown last week, caught, caught a couple short and intermediate passes this week. Um, those guys are all playing well. And then the big surprise with J.J. Jones, it seems like they're very committed to getting a long look at him returning kicks and punts. And he broke out in a big way in that regard last night. So if... If you're looking at Travis Benjamin and you're saying, well, he's fast, they need him to stretch the field. No. I mean, they can stretch the field with, with Tyrell Williams. They don't really need Travis Benjamin to stretch the field at this point. And if he's not carrying the value of returning kicks and punts, which was half the reason they signed him, if not more so, then what's the point of paying this guy $7 million this year? So it seems to me like the wide receivers are, are the young wide receivers are really forcing the coach's hand here and they're going to make force them to make a tough decision. It's either cut a kid that they really like because they don't, they're, they're committed to Travis Benjamin or they feel like they don't want to give up, you know, the quote unquote, you know, the deep, the deep threat. Um, or it's get rid of Benjamin and keep one of these young guys on who may not contribute right away as a wide receiver, but is contributing in other ways. So that to me is another big story. Yeah, that's definitely a, a big one. I think, you know, last week we talked about Jeremy Davis winning, winning round one over Artavis Scott. I think Artavis Scott came back and won this round, and I think they're tied up right now. I thought Scott had the better game against the Seahawks. J.J. Jones, obviously a, a big surprise as a returner. We saw that speed. But the question is, can Jones return kicks full-time? Do we think he can make the team? Does that make Travis Benjamin expendable are the questions you asked. And I think... J.J. Jones definitely deserves to be in the conversation now. When you talk about Scott and you talk about Jeremy Davis, you got to talk about J.J. Jones because that returnability is very good. And he struggled a little bit in camp, but he's looked very good through two games. But I don't think he's so good that he deserves a spot right now on the roster. Um, looking at him last week as a wide receiver, he was not very good. As a returner, great. As a wide receiver, not so much. I think Artavis Scott, Jeremy Davis are better than him as a receiver right now and probably ahead of him on the depth chart. But I also don't think this team gets rid of Travis Benjamin. I think they should. He's frustrating to watch as a returner. But I think ultimately he's a better receiver than the other three. And I think they just are going to depend on that world-class speed. You talked about it. They don't need it. 
but I think they want it. And I think they end up keeping Travis Benjamin and they have to make a hard, hard decision on who they're going to keep. Throw in Dylan Cantrell in that mix too now because he's starting to fall back. Justin Jackson hasn't been healthy for two games. Neither has Dylan Cantrell. He's, his spot's up for grabs now too. So you're talking about Cantrell, Jones, Scott, Davis. They got they got a tough decision to make with those four. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the fact that there's even a potential discussion that Travis could be cut is huge because going in, it seemed like he was the surefire number three receiver on this team. And there was no chance they were going to cut him. that there was just, it was just very unlikely that they were going to find a young receiver who could do quote unquote, what he does from a speed perspective and think that they were ready to cut Benjamin. Uh, and I still think it's kind of unlikely, but the fact that we're even at a point where we're talking about it is huge because it says a lot about where the young receivers have come, how far they've come mm-hmm. uh, so far in the preseason. Um, and also, I mean, through two games, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think Benjamin's had a target. I think he's had two reverses through two games. So he's kind of been reduced to that gimmick-type role where they're just trying to pop a big one on a reverse, and that they haven't really even thrown the ball deep to him or underneath or anything yet. No bubble screens, nothing. So it doesn't seem like they're real interested in getting the ball to him to get him in, integrated in the offense early on doesn't necessarily mean they're going to cut him, but it certainly seems like they're focused on look, taking a good long look at the young guys, which is encouraging because it shows that they're, they're thinking ahead, if nothing else. Travis Benjamin got shut down the first game, so we didn't see him in all in game one. Game two, we just saw him on that reverse jet sweepish. Yep. Percy Harvin-like. They, they, yeah, he's... He's kind of more of a gimmick player now, it seems like, but uh, we'll see when the season starts if they try to get him involved. But it is very interesting because Artavis Scott, Jeremy Davis were kind of like, oh, yeah, you know, you got to keep an extra wide receiver. But now it's like Dylan Cantrell might not even be safe. Well, yeah, it's hard to see him make, with the way those three are playing. It's hard to see him making the roster without having played in a preseason game. Yeah. So he's got to get back on the field in a hurry. Both he and Jackson need to be on the field this weekend if they're going to have any shot of making it. And even then, it may be a very tough uphill climb just based on what the guys around them are doing. And then even move up on the depth chart, you know, Travis Benjamin being wide receiver three, you saw Mike Williams have a really strong OTAs training camp. They've talked him up, had a good game, game one, had that great touchdown pass in game two. Great catch. That was vintage Clemson Mike Williams. That was back to his college days. So Mm -hmm. he might even be climbing over Travis Benjamin too. So that... That also becomes something in play as well. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to consider here. And, you know, you mentioned earlier J.J. Uh, Jones did not look very good as a receiver in Game 1, and I totally agree. He looked awful. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but if they find a fifth receiver who can actually contribute as a receiver, they may not need the sixth or maybe even seventh receiver, which probably unlikely, but they may not need that last receiver on the depth chart to contribute as a receiver if they're making major contributions as a return man. So he is not an NFL receiver, but he looks at least through two games like he's developing into an NFL return man, which is something the Chargers haven't had in a while. So I'll I'll go on and talk about something else that I found interesting, which I think is a big storyline. And I think it's that the Chargers offensive line might have a new strength. We talked about ever since Melvin Gordon was drafted that he needed to go off the edge, mostly because the Chargers were strong there. You know, Jar- Joe Barksdale was good for a couple of years off the right side. Now you got Russell Okung off the left side. Get Melvin Gordon out in space. But 
Through the last two games, it's been very interesting running behind Mike Pouncey in that A-gap. Mike Pouncey has looked so good, and it looks to be a pretty big strength in run game. On the first drive, the Chargers' big runs were the 14-run run by Melvin Gordon, the 8-yard run by Dietrich Newsom, and then, of course, the 2-yard touchdown run by Melvin Gordon, all up the middle, all behind Mike Pouncey. Uh, great job by Feeney Okung on that on that touchdown run to seal their guys and get the uh, the lane wide open. But Pouncey is getting movement up front. He's setting up key runs early for the Chargers offense, and he's picking guys off at the second level. He's looking much more athletic, and the guards haven't really been perfect through two games, but I think you know it's it was obvious that Pouncey was going to be an upgrade, but it's also a new added element because Gordon now doesn't have to be off the edge. The strength so far has been between the tackles and up the middle behind Mike Pouncey. Yeah, actually, my next point was the left side of the O-line looks potentially dominant. Uh, I think from Pouncey to Okung, they have, the, they have the potential to have a dominant running game on the left side of that line with the way those guys are playing. I mean, Pouncey's getting to the second level, like you mentioned. He looks healthy. He's picking off guys at the second level. Feeney has been very good in the run game, a little, une- a little uneven in pass protection. Very good in the run game, and you know what you're going to get out of Russell Okung. So to me, that left side of the line looks fantastic right now, and it looks like a potential major strength for this offense. It's a nice, it's a very impressive development. And after watching uh, Trevor Robinson and Chris Watt and Spencer Pulley, Rich Ornberger, and God knows however many other centers <laughs> they've had in the last five years, uh, seeing Pouncey be able to cover ground, make blocks at the second level, hold his ground, you know, on the line of scrimmage, get movement, all those things. It's just, it's a pleasure to watch because it's been a long time since the Chargers have had a competent center. Yeah. Okay. So we've each given a couple. You got, got another one you want to throw out there? I would just say that after watching the second and third team offensive lines, that, that starting offensive line better freaking stay healthy. Come on. Because those guys are rough. <laughs> The tackles are hot garbage. The guards are not much better. Uh, there just isn't a whole lot to look forward to on that second-team offensive line, period, with the possible exception of Mike Schofield moving back to the second-team offensive line at some point. There's really nothing good going on there. Uh, I thought uh, Tevi had another terrible game last night, had guys running around him left and right. The guards struggled big time inside. Uh Goldich had another rough game. Zach Crabtree had a rough game. The tackles in particular are brutal. They're really bad. Yeah, that was that was going to be another one I was going to throw out there. Yeah, I think beginning of this training camp, we thought the offensive line depth would actually be pretty good, and I think it's been the complete os- opposite, and they've been pretty suspect. We've talked about how you know Sam Tevy had a good late season push there at a ta- at right tackle. We saw Spencer Pulley has starting experience. He was a center last year. We had high hopes for Scott Questenberry, but they all have been suspect. They all haven't had strong games. I, Tevi didn't have a good game again. He was god-awful game one, and now they're in trouble. Yeah, nobody better go down, and the only saving grace is Forrest Lamp is coming back, and hopefully Schofield can get kicked back and can get thrown into whatever guard or tackle spot they need if there's an injury, and then that's it. They can only afford one more injury. Schofield just to hold it down enough. Not that he's going to wow anybody. Just hold it down enough so that it doesn't completely fall apart. Because if you start throwing Tevi out there and Questenberry out there, you're going to have problems, Jack. So yeah. So or even even Pulley for that yeah. matter, who was not good in pass protection again mm-hmm. last night. That would be my third one too. Yeah. The the O line 
depth is a little bit worse than we had anticipated. Absolutely. So we'll we'll move on to defense. Speaking of anticipation, I think Ochenna Nwosu might replace Kyle Emanuel a lot sooner than we all had anticipated. Nwosu had himself a game against the Cards, continues to show up in preseason, and he's doing it on special teams. He had a really good special teams tackle, and I think that's going to be the deciding factor. When Nwosu's been on the field, he's made plays, which is going to force the Chargers coaching staff's hand. They elected again. Is this one of your three, too? Is that what you're laughing at? My first takeaway is, word for word, Nwosu forcing, forcing coach's staff's hand at Sam. <laughs> See, there you go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, the coaches stood Kyle Emanuel up. They want him to play middle linebacker. They, he's not a Mike, but they're just trying to find ways for him to stick. And I get it. Kyle Emanuel does all the dirty work, stuff you won't see on a stat sheet. He sets the edge like no other play on this team so far over years. But right now, the Chargers have players that are better than Emmanuel and that are deserving playing time. I don't think Emmanuel's as far gone as a possible cut casualty, but I think the timeline for getting Nwosu starters minutes over Emmanuel is beginning to escalate in a very quick manner. Yeah, I totally agree. I think um, the fact that they're moving um, they're moving mm-hmm. Emmanuel around from Sam to Mike, and he's playing deep into games. I think that pretty much tells you that they're looking for an excuse to keep him. I had thought coming in that he might be a possible bubble candidate, that he might get cut if Nuoso looked good enough in camp. Um, but I think I think they're going to keep him. I think he's pretty safe just because, like you mentioned, he does the dirty work, and he just seems to be a hard worker. So I think the coaches like him. But back to Nuoso, I mean – he looks so much better than anything I saw on his college tape. It's ridiculous. Uh, the pass rush, he looks wh- far more explosive than anything I saw on his on his college tape. Uh, the motor is there. He he had a pretty good motor in college. That's there. Um, got tackles are having a really hard time getting their hands on him around the edge. He's dipping and bending around the edge in a way that he didn't show he could do on his college tape at all. Uh, and the big thing for me, and what I think gets him on the field as a starter is he right now, in my opinion, I think he's the best edge setter on the team. I think he's better than Emmanuel. He's strong. He's physical. He keeps his hands clean. He keeps his eyes upfield. And it seems like in the last two games, he's either made or contributed to a couple of run stops in each game. And his run defense is getting better, and you can see his confidence growing with every snap. And I think that's what ultimately gets him on the field. But, you know, in terms of the special teams tackle, he looked good on special teams. Another young player showing up on special teams, making a big hit. Uh, he, I mean, he looks fantastic, and I totally agree. I think that's the biggest takeaway so far through two games of the preseason is he's absolutely forcing the coach's hand because there is no question when he comes on the field that run defense has a whole different energy to it, and it looks so much better and so much more effective and everybody's rallying to the ball. You're just not seeing guys getting blown off the ball like you do when Emmanuel's out there for whatever reason. So it seems like the teammate, his teammates are feeding off of him, and he's a guy who definitely needs to be on the field as much as possible, as quickly as possible. Yep, yeah. And I think, I think he even put up with any potential shortcomings in coverage for now, uh, especially on first and second down because of the value he adds as a, as a potential edge setter and run stuffer. And then you start talking about having him on the on the field as the third pass rusher. I mean, that pass rush, with the way some of these guys are playing, that pass rush is going to be frightening. It's going to be deep, and they're going to have interchangeable parts, and it's going to be scary. Yeah. So to, all right. So talk to me about another one you got. Um, I think 
the bit the next big takeaway after watching these safeties play the last two games is quite frankly Derwin James has to play free safety. He has to. Uh, this business of rotating uh, Rayshon Jenkins and Jaleel Adai and um, and Jalen Watkins, who by the way blew out his ACL last night at free safety, is not working. Uh, I know they want to play James at strong safety. It's his natural position. It's where I think he's event he's going to wind up ultimately in his career. But right now, he's the best, most athletic option at free safety, and continuing to try to force Jaleel Adai into that role when it's obvious he's not suited for it, uh, continuing to try to force Jenkins into that role, it's it's going to lead to bad problems. And uh, it's it's already showing up in the preseason. It's going to get worse once they put more on tape, uh, once they get to the regular season, because, I mean, Watkins badly blew two assignments in coverage last night. Uh, you know, there was that play where Adai had to slide out into the slot and cover Jerron Brown down the field and couldn't run with him. Uh, and then he had a play where he actually ranged across the field to go for the interception. Um, I believe it was against Brown. No, it was against Moore on the other side of the field uh, on the jump ball. And he was just a tick late and somehow managed to miss the interception where it looked like it hit him right in the stomach. Uh, he's just not suited to be in the free safety. He needs to be in the box. And as much as I want James to be in the box, the time has come to admit that they need to get him on the field at free safety. Because having him on the bench, if they're planning on starting some combination of Phillips and Adai at the safety positions, is not acceptable with the way these guys are playing right now. So talk to me about Rayshon. You don't like Rayshon at free safety? No, I think he I think I think Rayshon and Adai are both better suited to playing strong safety. As is James. I think James is all the best natural, strong safety. All their natural positions. It's all their natural positions. James is by far the best strong safety on the roster in terms of just scheme fit, size, athleticism, the whole deal. But they need him somewhere else right now. Um, I, I've never liked to die way, you know, off the line of scrimmage, deep, out in space, trying to cover half the field. I just don't like that for him. Uh, he can be slow with his reads. He's not a great athlete. He doesn't cover a ton of ground. Every once in a while, he'll surprise you, but it's just not what he does. He hasn't looked great. He hasn't blown any plays per se, but he just really hasn't done anything to say, yeah, he belongs out there. So I think your starting safeties really need to be James and Adai, which James playing free safety and Adai playing strong safety when the season opens. Um, if if they're not, uh, they're going to have some problems on the back end because there are a lot of opportunities to pick on those safeties uh, if they don't get that combination right. Yeah, so I had uh, a similar headline, but a little bit different. I went a different direction. And, you know, Jalen Watkins, of course, tore his ACL, but I think this leaves the door open for Rayshon Jenkins. Uh, I agree with you here with Jaleel Adai. We, you don't want him at free safety, and they're playing him more and more at free safety, but that is just not the way to go. Watkins started as the uh, free safety in game two, wanted to get him some starter experience. He tore his ACL, so he's no longer an option. Jaleel Adai should not be there. And so far, Derwin James hasn't done a ton to say that he should be a starter. Neither has Rayshon. I mean, he hasn't done a ton to hurt himself, hasn't done a ton to help himself. He hasn't ran away the jo- with the job, but he's basically in a competition with himself because you want to have Derwin close to the line of scrimmage. I would love for him to be a starter and get more minutes of free safety if you can interchange him in different packages and walk him down to the line of scrimmage. I'm with you. That can change. But right now, 
it's basically Rayshon Jenkins' job to lose. With Watkins out, Dez is no longer the free safety because Jason Verrett got injured, and now they need Dez in the slot like last year. And with Watkins, Dez out, and Adai not cutting it at free safety so far, and you got to play him down low, that leaves Derwin and Rayshon, and so far Rayshon has been the guy. I think that could ease one of only one guy has to make a play. Derwin makes one pass deflection. He's a starting free safety as far as I'm concerned. Because Rayshon has done close to nothing. But right now, I think he's in a competition with essentially himself. You could be right. Uh, my feeling on this is when in doubt, go with the best athlete. Of course. I, I mean, if you're asking somebody to cover that much ground, um, break up passes, you know, run sideline to sideline and make plays and be your last line of defense – Go with the best athlete, and Derwin is one of the best athletes on the team, if not the best athlete on the team. So that's the direction I would go. You might be right that Jenkins is in a competition with himself. Uh, the door is definitely wide open for him at this point, and he hasn't necessarily done anything to hurt himself, but he hasn't done anything to help himself either at this point. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if he wound up starting. I just don't think that's the way they should go. I, I'm saying it's time to just call it what it is and get James on the field and let him make plays. And if that means free safety, if that's the best way to do it right now, which it looks like it is, then just do it and get it over with. Stop messing around. Yeah. I think Derwin has got to get a lot of snaps at free safety for these next two games. A lot. I mean, he was playing late into the fourth quarter uh, against the Seahawks. He has got to get more run at the free safety with Watkins out now. And Derwin has been a little bit timid. He hasn't been, he hasn't really cut it loose. Like we're used to him seeing. He hasn't. Um, I was watching him closely last night, and to me it looks like he's not processing things as quickly as you might like him to. I think he's thinking a little bit. There's some hesitancy there, a couple false steps here and there, uh, not really trusting his reads. Um, he still had a couple good plays. He had a run stop that was taken back from a, by a Seattle penalty last oh, night. Oh, that was such a good play. I mean, he came crashing down and just blew up the running back. Great tackle, form tackle, just dragged him down. Um, he had he forced I think one or two throwaways on third down. Uh, so he, he he showed up at times. He just didn't make any splash plays, and he hasn't done anything where you say, "Wow, that that's what we've been waiting to see." Like maybe our expectations are a little bit too high <laughs> <laughs> for to a certain extent. Uh, he's done some good things. He hasn't done anything to hurt himself. He just hasn't jumped out the way like a Nuosu has, which is what I think everybody was expecting. Oh, yeah, definitely. Because he was just so good in college. You just thought it would be in the easy transition and a quick mm -hmm. leap. Nuosu, you thought the opposite because you didn't see a ton. There wasn't a lot of exotic plays. The, the playbook wasn't complex. You didn't see the elite athleticism like you do with Derwin. But Nuosu, exceeding expectations for sure. Uh, so I guess indirectly that was my second one. So you got you got another uh, storyline you want to hit me with? Um, yeah, I mentioned it a little bit earlier, but I'll, I'll kind of expand on it. And that is the Chargers seem like they have a pass rush that's five guys deep at this point, which is very impressive. You know, you're talking about obviously Bosa and Ingram on the first team. If Nuosu starts and he's their third rusher with the way he's looked, their base defense is going to have three terrifying rushers, not even including what they can do from a blitzing standpoint. And then Isaac Rochelle had two sacks last night. 
uh, he's spinning. <laughs> you know, he's showing spin moves. He's he's playing with a lot of effort. He's showing improved technique. He looks faster and more explosive. He looks great. Landrum's look good through two games. I mean, there's a lot of depth there. A lot of p- pieces you can move around from spot to spot and give defenses different looks. It's just it's very encouraging to see the depth and the 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 different the different skill sets that they have at, at the two pass rushing positions, three pass rushing positions on this defense. It's something that could give offenses a lot of problems during the regular season. And I just stole yours. I could tell by the look on your face. Yeah, yeah. Nobody can <laughs> see it. And you laughed partway through it. But, yeah, I kind of threw my head back. Yeah, I mean, that's that was going to be the last one. I mean, when we were in the offseason, it was like, who's going to replace Chris McCain? And everybody thought Chris Landrum. The Chargers thought Chris Landrum. Who's going to be the third pass rusher? It's actually Isaac Rochelle. He has been so good through two games. He had two sacks against Seattle, really strong game against the Cardinals too. Had a nice spin move against the starting left tackle, Dwayne Brown. Put him on his heels, sacked Russell Wilson toward the end of the second quarter. Had a huge hit at the end of the half on Russell Wilson. Forced a throwaway on Austin Davis on a third down, which got the uh, Seahawks to punt the ball. Uh, Making a ton of big plays. Not only with the sacks, but also getting enough pressures that Austin Davis has to throw it away. Wilson gets hit, and it's an incomplete pass. Rochelle's pursuit is giving opposing offensive lines fit so far. He is playing with no quit through the preseason, and guys just can't handle it. He is the second best pass rusher right now with Bosa out. And it is so close, and Nuosu is so good that Rochelle and Nuosu may be 2A and 2B right now, with Ingram obviously being number one, Melvin Ingram being one. But Rochelle and Nuosu, you get, man, if you get some NASCAR packages and throw Rochelle and Nuosu and Bosa, it's going to be nasty when you get fast on that field. There is a lot of depth so far on these pass rushers. But Rochelle has been a huge surprise, slimming down, looking much quicker, and really his stamina has been great through the preseason. And not just as a pass rusher, by the way. He has been extremely active against the run. He's had a couple run stops in the first two weeks. He just seems like he's everywhere all of a sudden. Then this is a spot where we thought they didn't necessarily have a lot of depth, and now all of a sudden they're five deep, and it's like, where did this come from? It just kind of materialized out of thin air. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so you got any more on defense? Yeah, I've got one more. Uh, I'm... I'm not liking what I'm seeing out of Jatavis Brown through two games. Uh, I went back and rewatched the first game a couple times with a focus on him. And I watched the second game with a focus on him. And in my opinion, he is really struggling with second-level blockers. The first two runs uh, last week, he got picked off at the second level uh, because he was hesitating, took a false step, and an offensive lineman picked him off at the second level. And on one play, I think it was Mike Ayupati, drove him 10, 15 yards downfield, and basically he couldn't he couldn't shed Ayapati until Ayapati decided he was done with him. It was bad. This week on, I believe it was the first running play, which was a, a stretch play to the right, uh, <laughs> he got picked off at the second level by DJ Fluker. DJ Fluker is not exactly a great athlete at offensive line, and... He, we know uh, Jatavis, Jatavis got caught. Just just making sure people remember DJ Fluker. No, we got it. I don't think we're nobody's forgetting Fluker. He you know choo he's, choo. He's, <laughs> he's he's uh he he's getting caught peeking in the backfield and he's it's making him vulnerable to offensive linemen at the second level and he has no means for shedding them once they get their hands on him. That's a problem. 
Uh, and I, I got to think that's one of the reasons why the coaches drafted Kaiser White, who obviously was hurt last night. But Jatavis, people are saying he looks good. He's He's been playing well. To me, if you, if you really dig into his tape, he has not looked good in the first two games. And I think there's a problem there because he's still thinking heading into his second year in the offense. Yeah, you know, he's making splash plays, and everybody's looking at the highlights and seeing a lot of good. He had a good run stop against Cardinals. He did. Uh, he made a splash play or two against the Seahawks. But, yeah, he's having trouble. And uh, him and Kaiser White were pretty nose-to-nose in the first preseason game, and that shouldn't have been the case with Kaiser being a rookie and Jatavis basically having to earn his job back. So uh, they are way closer than we thought. Um, we thought it would be a pretty big battle, but uh, Jatavis hasn't really run away with a job yet, especially with White out. Yeah. You see, you know, you see Jeremy Davis, Artavis Scott step up while Dylan Cantrell's out. Dietrich Newsom step up while Justin Jackson's out. Jatavis Brown isn't doing that with Kaiser White out. He hasn't run away with the job yet. So it's going to be interesting at the wheel spot. Yeah, I agree. And I think um – just watch what you know watching white last week he just seems like he's much more decisive and he's moving a lot more quickly than jatavis even though jatavis is the better athlete and covers more ground white just seems like he's much more comfortable with what's going on in the defense so um hopefully jatavis figures it out and makes this a tough decision but he to me he just has not looked very good in the first two games and i think the fact that he's having a hard time avoiding second level blockers and then can't shed them once they get their hands on him that's a big problem for the will linebacker. He's the guy who's supposed to be cleaning up and making plays and he's not getting there right now. Yeah. Um, that was it for me. But one other thing I'll just throw out that the, the middle of this run defense is still bad. It's still very bad. That TD run by Chris Carson should not have been called back there. That was a very ticky tack penalty. They called on, on that. But, uh, the middle of that defensive line is not doing the Chargers run D any favors. Fallon was okay, but Meebane's still bad. When they were going in the goal line and they got that strip, Meebane was on his belly past the goal line. He shouldn't have been on his belly <laughs> two yards backwards to get that football. So uh, he just happened to be laying down on the ground two yards downfield. So uh, Meebane is still struggling mightily, and I just don't know where they're going to find the answer. I don't think Justin Jones is the spot is the answer there at the zero tech. And uh, I think it's going to be a problem throughout the year unless they can somehow pick somebody up when cuts happen or sign somebody late. But there is no help coming, and it is troubling. I thought the interior defensive line showed flashes of getting better. Uh, The first couple running plays were pretty rough. Um, But I thought Phylon looked pretty good. Square had another solid game. Meebane had some good and some bad. Uh, I thought the big thing for me was I was concerned that they were penetrating last week without a plan. They were getting upfield as fast as they could without any awareness of where the ball was, and the running backs were just kind of cutting back underneath them, and they were essentially creating a running lane for the running backs. This week I felt like they were all much more aware of where the ball was, and they were more controlled and patient with their penetration, so they weren't just getting upfield and leaving cutback lanes for the running backs. So I thought there was some sign of improvement. Obviously, there needs to be more. And the other big concern is just way too much, way too many missed tackles in the middle of that defense. Perriman's missing tackles. Brown's missing tackles. Uh, there's just way too many guys over-pursuing, getting caught out of position, taking bad angles, and missing tackles. Okay, so let's go ahead and move on to special teams. And you got any notes you want to share before? I mean, we talked about J.J. Jones and his returnability. Before we get to kickers, anything else you want to talk about? 
Yeah, I just think that the contributions of the young wide receivers on special teams is something that that is worth noting. Um, you know, you talk about JJ Jones with the big returns. Artavis Scott has flashed on returns. We saw Jeremy Davis make a couple tackles on special teams last night. Also came within, you know, a few inches of blocking three punts, which to me seems like there's a weapon developing there with the, with the punt return teams. With his size and speed, it seems like he's giving people fits getting back there and almost blocking punts. So it's just nice because, you know, when you're talking about building a roster, especially with a head coach like Lynn who cut his teeth as a special team standout, you want your end of the end of the depth chart running backs and wide receivers in particular to contribute on special teams. And seeing all those guys contribute on special teams the way they are really speaks to the way this coaching staff is developing their depth players. And they're really making it clear that, you know what, if you want to be on this team, you have to contribute on special teams. And I think that's huge. Yeah, you know, one of the almost blocked punts forced John Ryan to get rid of it a little too quickly, the Seahawks punter, and that set up J.J. Jones' touchdown. It was a second less hang time than the kick before, so it was it, he almost got a hand on it and still got a rush kick. J.J. Jones able to outbeat the coverage and rush for a touchdown. Also uh, saw a lot of Dewan Hines, too, on special teams. Mm-hmm. He Another made a couple guy, tackles. Who, yep, yep, who uh, also showed up on special teams. I don't have anything else other than moving on to kickers. I'd just like to get this over with if you're okay with that. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> so, so Roberto Aguayo, absolutely perfect. He made his only kick, which was 39 yards. He made the field goal, hit all three of his extra points. Perfect on the day. At the end of the day, I don't care who kicks, to be honest with you. I just don't want the team to carry two kickers. That's all I ask. That is the only thing. That was the worst potential news to come out of Chargers camp this week was, oh, yeah, it's possible we could carry two kickers, which to me says we just can't make a decision. We don't, <laughs> we, we don't know which data to rely on because last year we relied on practice data, and this year we're thinking we're going to rely on game data, but we're not really sure if we want to do that or not, so screw it. Let's just keep both of them. Um, just pick one and get it over with. If it's Aguayo, great. If it's Sturgis, great. They just need one of these guys to make make kicks, make anything from 50 yards and in at 85% clip or better, and they're going to win probably at least two more games this year. So just figure out who it is, get rid of the other guy, make the decision, and move on. Yeah, keeping two kickers. Uh, I don't even get the logistics of how that would work. You would pick Sturgis one game and you pick Aguayo the next game. What what would you even do? Or would you just uh, make one of them inactive every Sunday? I don't I don't know exactly what they would do, but it makes no sense. Just pick one. I don't care who it is. I don't care about Aguayo's past yips and all his problems going forward. I don't care about any of that. If he can make kicks and he wins the job, fine. If Sturgis wins the job, fine. It doesn't matter. But keeping both of them... Do not do it. No, absolutely not. Especially when you think about where they're going to take a position, a spot from on the depth chart to carry two kickers. I mean, you're going to carry one less defensive lineman, one less offensive lineman. Uh, Just no, just don't do it. (laughs) Okay, that does it. Anything else you want to talk about, about this game, other than the shit ton of penalties again this week? Anything else? No, just clean up the penalties, man. Just stop <laughs> holding, stop jumping off sides, stop hitting people with your helmets, for God's sakes. Just stop killing yourself with stupid penalties. 
All right, those are our storylines from the Chargers preseason win over the Seahawks. I am at Garrett on Twitter. Jamie? At Lightning underscore round. And we'll see you next time. Thanks, everybody. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation. And I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain. Or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission. Or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.